You're listening to Al Pastor, the show that helps you love God, love your neighbor, and eat more tacos. I'm your host, Pastor Brian. Welcome to the show. Well, hello. I want to welcome you today to episode 23, which is going to cover our community reading, which is Hebrews 13 for this Monday, November 21st. Um, something that I have added into the podcast description, not only uh, on the most recent episodes, but also on the homepage, is a link to a document to a downloadable PDF uh, of the calendar of our Bible reading as we read in community. And that is with the intention that if you have friends or family that need to start reading God's Word, maybe that you can get them on board and and if they want to, if this can help them and, and they can tune in and listen to this, then might just help their walk, their journey in uh, every which way. So um, feel free, feel free to um, bring people along for the journey. So again, we're going to be covering Hebrews chapter 13. Just a couple introductory comments. I'm so, so thankful uh, for Doggo Pardo Jr. He is helping me get the office all prepared um, I mean, that guy is something else. Absolutely amazing. Um, so I have some sound blankets that are being hung up, and then he's also going to help me with some of the lighting issues because one of the goals is not just to do audio, but it's also to do video. So um, uh, it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So with that in mind, there are some of you that I know want to come onto the podcast, and I want you on the podcast Believe me, I this this uh, I have a tiny room in the house. It's our smallest room, and it's it's my office here at home, and it is just it's a mess. It is a mess. I call it organized chaos. So <laughs> anyway, we'll get right into the reading today. So it's Hebrews chapter thirteen. I'm calling this episode "Pepper Sprayed." Why am I calling it "Pepper Sprayed"? Because the author is is making his closing remarks. And man, he, he's, it's kind of like, like a machine gun or he's just pulling out a can of pepper spray and just, he's just going to let it all out because he's got to get in what he's got to say, uh, before he closes this thing up to these, to these good folks at the Hebrew assembly. Right. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, chapter 13, verse one, he says, let brotherly love continue. So we see right off the bat he's exhorting them. These are these are some very strong exhortations, by the way. So we see some some obligations in some uh, several different dimensions that we're going to identify. We're going to see some social obligations, some religious obligations, some personal obligations. And so right out uh, right out of verse number one, we see a social obligation. So this is the love for the brethren. Um, when you're studying, you can study because one of the words that are important, especially in, in a biblical context, is which love is he talking about? And that's because in the Greek language, they use various um, different words to describe love. So this love is what's known as Philadelphia. That's in the original Greek. And that's why, for instance, Philadelphia is known as what? The city of brotherly love, right? So this is brotherly love, the love that we have for one another. So it's vitally important um, that the relationships between believers, um, the the horizontal aspect of loving your brothers and sisters, 
has a common denominator, which is because of Jesus Christ. And so this needs to continue because of the communal aspect of our walk. In other words, we would say that no one is a lone ranger. Nobody walks in in isolation. And so one of the things that happens to folks a lot of of times, and just putting on my pastor's hat here, is people start to isolate themselves from community. And that is a lot of times a symptom of something much deeper that's going on uh, spiritually. So they'll kind of pull away or draw back and this this goes back to the to the idea of forsaking the assembly um, so sometimes that will happen reclusivity and a lot of times and I'm not saying that you know things are valid or, or invalid is we come up with a lot of false flag events you know sort of like well this person offended me or I'm not getting along with them and in a nutshell, it, it really is, it can, it can be called immaturity. I hate using that word, but that's what it is. When really the root or the, the deeper part of the, the issue really a lot of times has to do with sin, has to do with sin. And a person will begin to draw back. Maybe their love has grown cold. The flame has grown cold. And so this component of brotherly love or fellowship is vitally, vitally um, important. And I think it's also important to frame fellowship because it's much more than just kind of hanging out, although that is a component. Um, This fellowship is to be mutually accountable, to walk with one another, to um, you know, share highs and lows. This is this is the intention behind community. So the author is is encouraging to let brotherly love continue and everything that is found with within that. Then we move on to verse number two. He says, "Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels." What is that all about, right? Like, what in the world is he talking about? Well, this is. Um, something that we would call an echo, an echo from something out of the Old Testament. And so what should come to our mind, and I'm not saying that this would be automatic, but let me help you, is remember the story of Abraham when he came out of his tent one day and all of a sudden there were three men that appeared to them and they were angels and you know he didn't perceive at first that they were angels, but then he began to suspect there was something unique about them. This is what it's all about. So we would say, we we looked at the, the first obligation, which would be love for one another. Here's the second one. It's hospitality. Hospitality. Big, big concept that runs this thread all throughout the Bible is the idea of hospitality. Opening yourself up to the stranger. Now, especially this was relevant in the first century, um, because there wasn't a whole lot of hospitality that was practiced in the Roman world in the first century. So this was a cultural aspect, but it goes much more than just a cultural aspect that we f- we find in Judaism. This is what we would call a God-honoring concept, to be hospitable to those, to um, show them care and compassion. And by the way, I've said this before, but it's worthy of of repetition. 
Um, I'm not saying that the sin of Sodom wasn't exclusively, you know, God raiding down uh, hell and fire and brimstone right on Sodom. And this is where we get the word sodomy. Um, and a lot of times people, you know, say, well, that was exclusive, exclusively as a result of their homosexual tendencies. Yeah, it, it, it was, but there was also a much bigger issue. It had to do with hospitality, folks. It really, really did. Um, when those angels went into Sodom, the, the, the citizens of Sodom were not hospitable to them at all. And uh, so hosp hospitality is a very, uh, very big deal. Let's go on to verse 3. And then he says, remember the prisoners, as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. All right. Well, this is also interesting because it gives us some insight into some of the social dynamics of the first century, especially in the Christian church. Why would that be? Well, there were, there were some, some folks that have been imprisoned as a result of their faith. And so what you will see in the New Testament when it comes to visiting the prisoners, it all has to do with somebody who's gone to jail for their faith. So imagine if somebody in our church, your church, wherever you're listening from, someone that you know, they've been there every Sunday, and all of a sudden they they ended up getting thrown into jail. Why? Because they shared their faith. They preached the gospel. I think we've seen some glimpses of that in certain parts of the country and even in Canada and <clears throat> certainly in other, other countries. And so this is the idea. Um I want to state the obvious here. Am I saying that prison ministry is not a good thing? No, I'm not saying that. But what the Bible is talking about is those that have been locked up because of their faith. I believe in you know good gospel chaplaincy, and I myself have preached in the prisons when I lived in Lone Pine. Um, I would go every single week to the juvenile detention center and uh, I got to tell you a funny story. There was, uh, it, it, and I, I didn't even have the gas money to get to this place, but I would drive there every week. And uh, I went in there and I preached like a madman. And there was one night when I just started preaching about the rapture. I've got all these teenagers in there, and I mean, they were, they, they started bawling and crying. I mean, they, I guess they were scared to death and. That was kind of the intent. I'm like, man, you guys, you guys got to get right with God. You got to give your lives to Jesus because He's coming back, and the trumpet's going to sound. And I even had the guards back there, and I saw their eyes all big. And um, so I, I say all that to say I believe in prison in prison ministry, uh, but we we need to see this in context here. So He wants them to remember the prisoners. This is the one of the social obligations of sympathy. So we would. Um, we would see love, hospitality, sympathy, sympathize. It's the idea of, you know, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, weep with those that are weeping. Um, this is part of what it means to be in in the body of Christ, right? And uh, that's that's what he's doing. Verse number four. Now he says, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. What in the world is he doing here? Like, what is his train of thought? Well, 
imagine in the first century in the Roman world, um, we would use the language today, we would say the sanctity of marriage, right? And this was a very, very loose concept, culturally speaking. And how about now? I mean, look at the values of this world. Um, I quoted a statistic, which most everyone knows, uh, you know, most marriages end in divorce, 50% of them. The number really is no different in the Christian church. And so marriage isn't necessarily honorable anymore. Um, We see a lot of folks that are living together before marriage. The Bible calls that fornication. If they are um, in a relationship physically, Prior to marriage, fornication, adultery. What is that? Sleeping uh, with someone, having relations with someone that is not your husband or your wife. And the Bible is very, very clear, folks. God will judge. God will judge that. And so this is a reminder that you're pilgrims. This world is not your home. This culture that you are so attracted to that you want to be like this culture that is pulling you away from the things of God, in fact, is promoting and propagating all of these adulterous ideas. Now, we can talk a lot about that, but I don't think that we need to. You could probably do just as good of a job, if not better than me, especially on this topic, right? So again, this is, this is a reminder to the people of God. Listen, you're different. You're set apart. You've been sanctified. You've been, you're, 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 you're holy, right? And then verse five, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. What is this? This is another obligation. It has everything to do with contentment. Boy, we can, we can talk a lot about that. Contentment. There's a lot today that we are programmed to believe that we always need more. And listen, I fall, I can identify, I fall victim to this. But it's always about the latest, greatest, newest thing. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Uh, Whether it's food, whether it's fashion, whether it's technology. And we're not necessarily content because those with status normally have the latest, greatest, and, and, and whatever it is. I mean, even all the way down to the, the vehicles we drive, right? So what's the idea? Be, be content with what you have. Doesn't mean you can't have anything new. Doesn't, this is not what we're talking about. But this, ha- this is an issue of the heart. And essentially, this is what the entirety of the book of Philippians is all about, right? It's, it's contentment. Paul Paul just uh, really hammers down on this um, as he's writing from from prison, which makes it just all the more impressive uh, to be content in every circumstance. And then he reminds reminds them and us uh, that he himself has said, our Lord, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So is it possible that when we are discontent, or when we are looking at the other things that people have and that we wish we would have, right, coveting, that somehow, some way, we're acting as if God is not with us. Could be possible. Could be possible. Verse 6, here's the reason why we need to be content. So we might boldly say, the Lord is my helper. 
I will not fear. What can man do to me? Right? So there is this, this pressure from the outside that says you have to get, get, get. You must have, have, have. And if you don't have, then you're not one of us. You're not part of the club. You're whatever it is. So we need to be able to say, listen, I'm, I'm, I identify as a child of God. So verse number seven, I'm going to, I feel like I'm going quickly, but I have no clue if I am or I'm, I'm not. Someone asked me today if I use a script in the podcast, and the answer to that is no. Um, I kind of sit down, I hit record, and I just go. I probably could use a script, but anyway. Um, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. So here we've we have shifted from some social obligations. Okay, just quick, quick run through. We looked at love, hospitality, we've looked at sympathy, we've looked at uh, the sanctity of marriage, we've looked at contentment. These are all um, in relation to how we interact with each other socially. Now we're going to look at some spiritual aspects. And the first one is to remember those who rule over you. Specifically, who is that? That would be the elders and the pastors. And so he wants to he wants the audience to remember those that have spoken the word of God to you. So what are you doing right now? What are you doing when you go to church? Hopefully it's to receive instruction, right? Um, you're listening to this podcast and I'm speaking to you. So please remember me. I, I cannot take that away from you. Remember me. I am speaking God's word to you. And then he says, whose faith follow, whose faith follow. Be imitators of those that rule over you. Now, this word rule doesn't mean like with an iron rod or anything. It's just those that have been entrusted with God's flock. That's that's what it means, spiritual oversight, right? And the author had previously been encouraging and exhorting the audience to remember those of the in the past, the hall of faith, and then now he's bringing it into the present to remember those in your immediate circle. Remember them. Consider the outcome of their conduct. And then he says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Kind of seems like that just doesn't fit in there. Like, why would he bring that up? Well, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is speaking about big. the big fancy word here would be the deity of Christ. That the nature of who Jesus Christ is, is eternal and unchangeable. His nature. He is God in the flesh. He is the eternal one, the self-existent one. All those attributes, he is God. He is still the same. Verse 9, don't be carried away with various and strange doctrines. For it's good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So what is the various and strange doctrines? Well, this can cover a wide variety across the spectrum of beliefs, especially within Judaism itself, because um, anyone that's been a student of the word understands that even within Judaism, there were different rabbinical teachings. So the two major wings of Judaism would be Pharisaical 
and Sadducean uh, theology. That's how you think, teach, and and behave towards God. Pharisees, um, much more strict. We get this picture throughout the Gospels. And then, of course, the Sadducees would be a representation of the more liberal wing. They um, didn't necessarily believe like in angels. They didn't believe in a resurrection. And then um, and then off of that, you also have some other groups. We've got um, an extreme ascetic um, of uh, people that were known as the Essenes. They lived out in the desert. Um, they rejected the culture and the society, especially the religious one within Israel. And so is the author calling these various and strange doctrines, like all of them are strange? Yes and no. Um, there was also some Gnostic tendencies, especially as you got into the Hellenistic world. We're going to see at the end of this that it seems that the writer is in Rome, okay, in Italy. So one thing that we have to understand is outside of Israel through what is known as the diaspora or the dispersion of the people of God, those that have settled in into a Greek or Hellenistic world, oftentimes the Judaism looked different than it did in Orthodox Israel. I'm using the word Orthodox. Um, and the reason is, is because there were sometimes accommodations that needed to be made. They would live within community, like scattered throughout Asia Minor, as we see in the travels of the Apostle Paul and Galatia and, and Philippi and Berea and all the way down into Athens and Corinth. They would often form communities, but sometimes the Judaism might look a little different. And so what would happen is doctrine, depending on the rabbi and those people could become strange. We could They could become intermingled with strange doctrine. And so it seems apparent, and I'm spending a little bit longer on this point intentionally, seems apparent because the author is writing from Rome, that Rome is towards the far reaches of the earth in their mind. Spain is the ultimate far reaches of the ends of the earth. But for them, Rome is, is an entire world away from Jerusalem, sort of like, uh, um, you know, Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. We're not in Kansas anymore, right? So he's warning them, be very, very careful about these various and strange doctrine. Number one, it's good that your heart, your heart, what does that mean? Your mind, your soul, be established by grace, established, established by grace. What a beautiful phrase meaning that it, you understand and you realize that you have received something from God that you did not deserve. Don't misunderstand this, folks. Please, if you're listening to me, grace is something we get that we did not deserve or earn. Not with foods which have profited those who have been occupied with them, so in other words, this is a direct reference to eating kosher, meaning I'm justified before God because of the things that I either eat or I don't eat. And I'm going to say a little bit about this before, again. Paul, Paul himself, although I don't know if Paul wrote this, it's a debate, we won't get into that. We might towards the end. Paul has no problem if you want to eat kosher. He really doesn't, like... He's like, whatever you eat, eat unto the Lord. If you're going to eat kosher, eat kosher. I mean, he 
even in the book of Romans, he addresses this because, you know, some were addressed as weak because they would only eat vegetables. But if they were honoring God with all of their hearts because they didn't want to eat something that was unclean, then Paul's going to be like, leave them alone. But here's the problem. If you begin to eat, if your, if your diet is based on the belief that this is how you become justified before God, then we have a problem. And guess what? This is exactly what would have what would be spreading. You would look at somebody and would be like, "Well, what was the source of that meat? Oh, we, 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 you're eating pork. You're eating shellfish." I'm being a little cheeky about this right now, but hopefully you're you're following me. You're eating pork. Oh, you you can't be justified before the Lord. No, no, your heart is established by by grace. So the message oftentimes accompanied accompanied with these folks would be you're you're not right with God because of this. No, we're right with God, first and foremost, by grace through faith, right? It is by grace through faith that we are saved. And because of that, we must be obedient, uh, obedient and totally pledge our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's warning them, don't get carried away with this, because this is exactly what they had a tendency to do. Verse 10, 11, and 12, and 13. Well, let's go. He says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Oh my gosh, i got to give this to you. Okay, so this is going back to the Old Testament. Um, most, most people, I'm assuming, might be familiar with the story. And I wonder, is it the book of Judges or is it Samuel? Wow, I can't think. Well, it's one of those. It's in the Bible. How about that? It's in the Bible. It's the story of Eli and his sons. And he was a large man, and his sons were serving. They were corrupt priests, Eli the priest, right? And one of the accusations against him was that him and his kids, man, they ate all the fat off the altar. So uh, picture this. All the folks would bring their animals to be sacrificed and and the priest would, you know, offer these sacrifices to God, put them over the fire, and essentially what they were doing is throwing a carne asada. That's what was going on. And these priests were over there, and they were just chopping it up, eating everything. But God did ordain, get this, God did ordain that the priests had a portion. But God said, there's a portion that's mine, and then this portion the priests can have. So here's the, here's, here's the issue. Priests had a privilege to be able to eat a portion of the sacrifices from the altar. But only the priests, okay? Only the priests. What about when David when David went to go ask the high priest for bread, right? He was running from King Saul. And the high priest, uh, was it Abishar? I think it was Abishar, yeah. Um the high priest is like, oh, no, this, this bread is only permitted, permitted to be eaten by priests. And he ended up giving David the bread, by the way. But again, this is this principle that there was a portion that was for the priests. Exclusivity down that was narrowed down to a group of people. That's in the Old Covenant. What about now? What is this about? Well, the altar that we get to eat on is open to anybody. Come and dine, right? That just... Come on in. You can dine. You are part of this. It's part of the, 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 the concept of the priesthood of all believers. So, so because if somebody from the outside 
is still reliant upon Judaism for their faith, they're not, it sounds bad, I know, they're not welcome at the table. Why? Because they're not brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's read verse 10 again. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Those who serve at the tabernacle from the, the tribe of Levi, they're the sons of Aaron. Exclusivity, that's something that's only for the priesthood. Jesus opened this whole thing wide open. Now, verse 11, 12, and 13, beautiful language here. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. You might be scratching your head like, what is that all about? Well, this is a direct reference to the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. So on the Day of Atonement, the sacrifice would be made outside and of the camp and burnt outside of the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So get this. The sin that was sacrificed outside the gate provided... It provided the sanctification for the people on the inside and on the outside. So Jesus suffered outside the gate. This is a beautiful illusion. Why, why would we say that? Because he was, he was hung on a cross just outside the city gate. Just outside the city gate. He wasn't crucified within the walls of Jerusalem, but on a, on a hill called Calvary, a hill called Golgotha. Uh, uh, Mount Moriah, folks. Outside the city gate, so beautiful. Verse 13, so what do we do with this information? Let us go forth to him, notice where, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. What would this mean to them? This would mean go outside of the camp, outside of the gates of Judaism, because that's where your sacrifice is. He's not inside. He's not in the temple. He's not, he's not there going through the rituals. He's outside of the camp. And you know what? It's scandalous outside of the camp. That's, that's where the criminals go. That's where the people go that are hung on a cross. And so bear his reproach. But on the inside, what is it all about? It's all about posture. It's all about the, the clothing. It's all about what tribe you're from. It's about your genealogy. It's about who you are. No, we empty ourselves just as Christ emptied himself and humbled himself as a bondservant, enduring the cross, enduring the shame. Let us do the same thing. Let us become of no reputation for Jesus Christ. Let us be able to say that this world has nothing on us. Nothing. Why? Verse 14, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. This is the idea. This world is not my home. This place has nothing for me. This is why I get really, really sometimes fired up. And I don't communicate this in the best way. I admit it. But I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's in control. If it's a Democrat, it's a Republican. If it's Trump or if it's Biden, it doesn't matter uh, who's doing what, what they think, because we, this, this place is not our home. We seek the one to come. That's the kingdom of God. That's the city that we're looking for. And one day, soon Jesus is going to come back. 
Therefore, by him, verse 15, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. How fitting in this season of thanksgiving. So notice, I want us to notice, again, we're looking at priestly language, sacrificial language. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer. So our sacrifices are no longer the blood of bulls and goats and and going through ritualistic cleansing to be clean or unclean. It is through our sacrifice of praise. So don't don't miss this and don't, don't misunderstand it because we've relegated praise and worship to something that's sung. But praise, your praise to God is something you do with your life. Yes, you can sing. That is praise. You can. But, but your sacrifice of praise is what I just described just a few minutes ago. It's laying down your life. This is Romans 12.2, right? Don't be conformed to this world anymore, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Offer your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. How do you do that? How do you offer your body a daily sacrifice? You do it by Galatians 2.20, right? Paul said, I die daily. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. This is what it is. So we need to continually offer that sacrifice every day with the fruit of our lips, with the confession of our mouth. We give thanks to his name because he is our source. He's the one that gives and takes and sustains all of our life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So here we have another component, social component, right? Of, of of sharing. And how do we share? By help making sure other folks don't try to go back inside, back inside the camp. This is essentially of, of what that means. Helping other people, sharing, sharing your faith, sharing your testimony. Verse 17, obey those who rule over you. This is your pastors, your elders. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So submissive. Submissive. Am I going to sit here and tell you, I'm the authority, you've got to do what I say. No, this is this is what we would call like a mutual submission. It's it's a submission to say, you know what? God has placed an authority over my life. God has. God God has entrusted a person over my life, and so I've got to believe that what they're trying to get across to me is true and noble. And so you you submit. You submit by by doing the things that are exhorted to you. So for them, okay, let's let's look at them and then we maybe we can bridge it. The author of Hebrews, boy, he's been laying it down. Like he he's been exhorting them. I mean, just in this chapter chapter alone, right? Pepper spray. 
but all throughout the, 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 the epistle here. Man, he's been exhorting them. What, what do they need to do? They need to be submissive. There, are, there is a whole list of some things that they, they, they're going to need to do. And that person is going to give an account. What is the account? God's going to say, did you do what I told you to do? Did you warn? Did you exhort? Did you rebuke? Did you encourage? Did you lift up? All of those components, right? So a very good reminder um, to us. Verse 18, he says, pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. So a couple of things that's abundantly clear here. It seems obvious that the, the assembly here, the Hebrew assembly, knows who this person is. If you were to pinpoint me and pin me down, I've said this before, um, traditionally this is attributed to the Apostle Paul. Is it? Well, could be, very well could be. Also could be Luke. I oscillate, okay? I actually think there is a strong case for Luke. We won't get into it right now, but there's a strong, strong case that this is Luke. Now, the reason I'm going there, it could be a little bit of bias because I am absolutely and totally, um, I have, I've been in the book of Luke for, gosh, almost a year, year and a half. Um, I feel like I know Luke, <laughs> his style, and, and I see some of the elegance of the writing that's in here, but I see so much of Paul as well. And I think because Paul and Luke were such good companions, Luke was there all, I mean, almost every step of the way with the Apostle Paul. I think that the Apostle Paul influenced Luke so much that, you know, it's sort of like Luke just kind of sounds like Paul. So it could be, could not be. Does it ultimately matter? No. But here's the point. In verse 18 and 19, he's making the appeal for prayer. He's making that appeal. And it seems that this individual that is writing, if it is Paul or Luke, they're, they're in prison. They're in prison, possibly. So let's read on a little bit. Verse 20, here's the final, what we would call benediction, right? The closing. He says, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. Wow. Wow. The great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. My, 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 I, I love this. Oh, this is so, so beautiful. Oh, the great shepherd of the sheep. That is Jesus, the everlasting covenant of his blood, the resurrection. Lord, help us. I mean, we can turn this into a prayer. Make us complete. Make us complete. That's mature. That's that's coming, coming across the finish line in every good work. To do what? His will. His will. Verse 22, and he says, And I appeal to you, brethren, 
bear with the word of exhortation, for I've written you in a few words. Oh, this is, this is humorous to me. I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word. What does he mean, bear with the word? He's like, listen, I know this hasn't been an easy word, but bear with it, right? This is, this is what he's saying. Um, all of the things, like run this race with endurance, but this exhortation is, is for the entire book. I mean, where he is given one, the word is exhortation, one right after another. Receive, that means to bear is, means to receive with an open and receptive mind. And here's, here's the truth of the matter. We have a choice when we hear God's word. And let me frame God's word. When I say that I'm talking about when something's being preached, we can accept or we can reject. We can be offended. We can not be offended. But here's the exhortation. Bear with the word. Is it something that's going to help you and be profitable to you? Then bear with it. Bear with the word of exhortation. And exhortation is not always nice and cute. It is dirty work. I'm reminded of, of uh, this gentleman. What's his name? Mike Rowe. Dirty jobs, right? <laughs> exhortation is a dirty job. And then I get a kick out of this in verse 22. He says, I have written you in a few words. Sure you have, buddy. I mean, I'm not saying Hebrews is a long, long book, but whoever this is, um, this seems short to him. So I'm wondering, this is why I'm saying, I don't know, maybe it's Paul, but I mean, Paul's Paul's written some short letters, right? He wrote Philemon, he wrote Philippians, Ephesians, certainly short. I mean, Hebrews is much longer than normally of Paul's writing. So that's why I'm like, hmm, could it be Luke? Because Luke is the longest gospel I don't know. Hey, if you have some thoughts on the authorship, if you've studied it out, I mean, I'm not saying you have to, but if you have some thoughts on the authorship of Paul, please let me know. It's, again, something that we, you can enter into for you know fun. Uh, verse 23, know that our brother Timothy has been set free. Hmm, interesting. So apparently Timothy, Timothy, you've been in jail. You've got a rap sheet. What'd you do? Well, Come on, we know he was preaching the gospel, right? With whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Verse 24, greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. So whoever is with this author, apparently there's some folks that are from Italy that are with him. Who would that be? We would say Rome. What's in Italy? Rome. Grace be with you all. Amen. And that, that, folks, is the end of the book of Hebrews. I'm going to just take a minute here and exhort you and myself. Um, wow, I, I've just got to give you a testimony about the book of Hebrews. I've enjoyed this so, so much. It, it, it has been eye-opening to me. Um, this word relevant gets thrown around way too loosely in our culture and society today, but I've got to tell you that, that, that it's an appropriate word, relevant. Hebrews is relevant for today. I'm just like, oh my. And I, uh, I've i shared this before. About 15 years ago, I took a class in the book of Hebrews, 
And I remember even back then, I was just like, wow. And I've read Hebrews probably since since that time, because read the Bible many times throughout the throughout the years on different plans and tracks. I've probably read the book Hebrews, I don't know, 20, 30 times. I, I couldn't tell you exactly. Um, but something about what we're doing and the way that we're doing it, um, you know, just I equate it to to a through hike. That's the idea of just taking it slow, stopping and smelling the roses. And I know we could go slower, but the pace that we're on, um, the focus, it it has just been so refreshing to my soul. But at the same time, please hear me, at the same time, it has raised my level of concern like never before for the people of God. I am so, so, so concerned. And you might say, well, why are you so concerned? I'm concerned. I'm concerned because I see that this is, goes back to relevancy. I see the parallelism to today. I see the state and the condition of the church. And this is not complaining. This is concern. And I am just, oh, Lord, we need you. We need you more than ever before. So I pray that we would just have a hunger and a zeal and a desire for the things of God. And um, here's here's the thing. I would like to know from you, and you may be able to do this, you may not, but I think here on Spotify, you can leave like a voicemail. I want to know what you've gotten over this time, like a little testimony about the book of Hebrews. If there's some of you that do this, I can actually include your voice memo over, uh, on the next podcast, because we're getting ready to, to go right into 2 Timothy. I better double check that. Let me look to 2 Timothy. Is it? Yes, 2 Timothy. So we're getting ready to dive into 2 Timothy, which that's going to be good as well. Oh, boy. It's all good. It's all good. But uh, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for tuning in. Um, I Again, I'd love to hear your testimony about the book of uh, Hebrews. As we approach this week of Thanksgiving, May the Lord be in your hearts like never before. May your testimony be seasoned with the salt of the gospel. You are the light and the salt, right? So um, with that in mind, we will say be blessed, and we'll see you on the next episode for an introduction of 2 Timothy. Thank you for listening to Al Pastor with Brian Overturf. If you found value in this, please subscribe and get updates. Most places podcasts are available. We're right here on Anchor FM through Spotify. Also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. I hope you'll tune in for the next episode. Until then, we'll see you later. <laughs>